Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of currently streaming horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews may include mild spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. I don't envy any filmmaker who has undertaken the monumental challenge of adapting a previous released work to film. Whether it's a novel, comic book, or video game adaptation, there are rigid audience expectations in place that simply aren't applied to original films. So with this in mind, the idea that writer and director Paul W.S. Anderson was jumping at the opportunity to tackle one of gaming's most beloved survival horror games ever is a limitless test in managing expectations while creating a film that is faithful to its source material, but also the director's unique singular vision for it. Currently streaming on Amazon Prime in both HD and 4K UHD, 2002's Resident Evil is a live-action adaptation of Capcom's beloved horror video game franchise. Given that by its 2002 release date, there had been four games released as part of the main Resident Evil series, the idea of knowing where to even begin with a film adaptation is a daunting predicament. Prior to 2002, the film industry was no stranger to video game adaptations, with Paul Anderson himself having previously directed the film adaptation of Mortal Kombat, in 1995. Though a majority of these 90s adaptations were based on fighting games such as Double Dragon, Street Fighter, and the two Mortal Kombat films. So it was high time to tackle the numerous other genres that games had occupied for decades. First and foremost, before even breaking down Resident Evil's plot, it's important to note that the film is rated R. This is an early indicator that despite whatever some may think of the final product, Anderson went into adapting this with the correct mindset. He fought with the studio for that R rating, as they obviously were more interested with a general audience-friendly PG-13 rating. Without getting too much on a soapbox, the idea that a director was uncompromising in their desire for an R rating to match the game series' mature rating speaks to him striving for an authentic adaptation. Trying to water down a historically mature-rated game series to a PG-13 audience would not only have soured already high fan expectations, but be watering down of a franchise intended with adults in mind. For the early 2000s, I find the approach that Anderson took with the final film was the only realistic way a studio would sign on for an R-rated horror video game film. Starting a fresh Resident Evil narrative with enough elements and nods from the games that would keep fans happy while never alienating newcomers. The film begins by showing the audience the roots of the zombie outbreak. A mysterious figure steals a case of vials before breaking one and releasing an airborne virus that turns the staff living within the hive, an underground umbrella research facility, into zombies. In an effort to contain the outbreak, the hive seals itself, trapping those inside and leaving them to their undead fate. We then return to the surface where we're introduced to Alice, played by Mila Jovovich, who wakes in an abandoned mansion with no memory of who she is or why she's there. It doesn't take long for a squad of umbrella commandos known as the Sanitation Squad to show up and take Alice and a supposed Raccoon City police officer with them down into the hive facility to uncover all that's happened. From the opening moments, Anderson faithfully captures the cold and calculated corporate temperament of Umbrella as their containment protocol disregards the well-being of their staff. It casts doubts as to their loyalties to consumers, employees, or if they're beholden to other, more sinister secrets and investors. The Hive facility also mostly feels faithful to the underground lab portions of the Resident Evil games, though this comes at the expense of the lack of a haunting atmosphere such as the Manor from Resident Evil 1 or the police station from Resident Evil 2. Considering I hadn't watched the film in a number of years, I was surprised to learn that the film doesn't actually show any zombies for almost a good 40 minutes. Which I suppose allows time to establish the world and the characters, but when zombies are the focus of the film and the audience knows that going in, you just gotta get to the zombies quicker, man. 
Speaking of characters, a majority of the Sanitation Squad are pretty much boilerplate commandos with the exception of Colin Salmon, who plays the stoic head commando, number one, and the tough-as-nails soldier, Rain, played by Michelle Rodriguez. Other than these two, the only outlier is, of course, Mila Jovovich, who we can see as an action star in the making, even from the humble beginnings of Resident Evil. I was pleasantly surprised to learn that Jovovich performed a majority of her own stunts for the film, showing not only her dedication to the project, but showing she wouldn't leave a lasting mark on the film. And while it does take us a while to get to see Jovovich stretch those zombie-killing muscles of hers, once we get there, the film doesn't let up for the remainder of its runtime. Ironically, once the zombies do show up is when my enjoyment begins to wane slightly. The zombies look great, and as the squad scrambles to understand what they're up against, the chaos stemming from that is tense and at times exciting. My issue arises from Anderson's horror action sensibilities, as what begins as tense and frightening is replaced with absurdist action. We see zombies fly through the air after being shot, or when Milo Jovovich even wall jump kicks a zombie dog in the head. It's a double-edged sword, as the various types of zombie effects, both human and canine, look fine for the most part, but it's the needle leaning more into the action camp than survival horror that fuels the video gamey sensibilities of a film that could have been more. That being said, my favorite scene of the film remains the laser grid hallway, as the sanitation team is attempting to reach the Hive's AI system core. Several members become locked in a long mirrored hallway. A single beam of light appears at one end and rapidly moves towards them. The squad learns the hard way that this is in fact a defense measure of the Hives and that the light is actually a state-of-the-art laser system that severs flesh in the blink of an eye. Seeing how the laser adapts as Colin Salmon's character dodges the laser, only for it to adapt and introduce more and more variations of lasers until it turns into a grid that fills the entire hallway and dices and slices him into giblets of meat. It's a tense and darkly humorous scene that while is somewhat video gamey, that dark humor ties back into Umbrella's cold and calculated manner with which they defend their secrets. By most accounts, Resident Evil is an average at best horror film or even a video game adaptation. As a fan of the video game series, I used to eat up the numerous easter eggs and references that Anderson's film was able to pack into the script. This was also the first film I remember that introduced a conspiracy angle which was used as a teaser for an eventual follow-up film. Obviously, conspiracies are nothing new to film at this point, but the idea that someone mysterious was watching and pulling the strings behind the scenes the entire time fueled fans' desires for answers. It made you want to know more about what was actually going on within the film's world, despite whether or not they succeeded in making that larger narrative as engaging as the rest of the film was. And now for some half-assed research. Before settling on Mila Jovovich, stars such as Jennifer Love Hewitt, Kirsten Dunst, and Natasha Henstridge were some of the actresses considered to play Jill Valentine when different scripts were still being developed for the film. In fact, George Romero was producing a script that featured game character Jill Valentine as the female lead, but that was eventually scrapped. A majority of those actresses I mentioned actually decided against joining the film because of the violence, which violence is kind of an inherently important part of both video game and zombie movies. And also the nudity, which, I mean, I thought the nudity in this was handled pretty tastefully. They don't, they show lots of skin, but it's nothing especially explicit or not, but I mean, to each his own. When the film debuted, it had the largest opening weekend for a European finance film, which serves as proof as why video game movies in the early 2000s became very hot. And if anything, we've seen Resident Evil become a success as it developed five sequels after the original and the series has made $1.2 billion worldwide against, I believe, just under $300 million budget for all those films. So pretty impressive. And even though the quality of a lot of different video game movies might be dubious, if that's putting it nicely, uh, I think film series such as Resident Evil 
really prove that there is an audience there. You just need to know how to captivate them and find the specific things they're looking for. Now, is Anderson's action-oriented approach to adapting Resident Evil my particular cup of tea? Not really. I think the first film did a decent enough job of balancing the horror atmosphere with action, though with each film, they move farther and farther away from what I love about the Resident Evil franchise. The movie series has exploded into action sci-fi with clones and even a super-powered Wesker showing up at one point. And while some may enjoy those elements, they resemble little what I love about the game's horror roots. I would hope that the new Resident Evil series being developed for Netflix will stick to the roots of the original game and series. I'll take a sprawling mansion soaked in atmosphere that has characters looking for puzzle pieces encountering crimson head zombies any day of the week. At this point though, I'll take anything other than what we've been receiving over the course of the past decade. And that'll do it for another episode of Daily Horror Habit. I'll see you guys tomorrow for another Daily Horror Movie Review. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow at Daily Horror Habit on Instagram and at Daily Horror Pod on Twitter.